Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 396 with Liz Fossling. Liz is talking about emotions at work, why we should embrace them, not suppress them, what we can learn from them, so much good stuff. So you'll learn one, why we should inspect instead of suppress our emotions. Two, two ways to protect yourself from emotional contagion. And three, how to decode the wisdom your emotions are pointing to. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F396. Now here's Liz's story. Liz is an author and illustrator whose projects have been featured by NPR, Freakonomics, The Economist, and CNN Money. Liz has spent the last three years designing and facilitating workshops that empowered executives at LinkedIn, Facebook, Google, BlackRock, and Nike to build cultures of belonging. Previously, she led product and community projects at Genius and ran statistical analyses at the aptly named Analysis Group. Thanks to Liz for spending some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Liz. Liz, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Yeah, really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, certainly. Well, I'm excited to dig into this. And and first, I want to hear the backstory behind you have been eating the same breakfast every day for seven years. What's the story here? I have, yes. The breakfast is seven mini scoops of nonfat plain Greek yogurt and then a granola bar that I crush into it. And it started as Morning is my most productive time, and so I just wanted to remove as much decision-making from my morning routine. So I just wanted to be able to like know what I was going to do and then immediately sit down and kind of let all the ideas that had been going around in my brain out onto the computer page. But now it's a really nice source of emotional support, too, when I'm traveling or just when life is getting really hectic. It's just nice to always have the same breakfast. Well, and let's review. What's the brand of Greek yogurt? Trader Joe's. I've done oh, a blind. Oh yes. Yeah, I've done a blind taste test because people have questioned my loyalty, and I get a perfect score every time. So it's. I think it's by far the best. Well, I, I agree that it, it is excellent and it's a good price. And so, which amount of fat is it? The there's the zero, and then there's the two, and then there's the the full. Yes, I do zero. I tried the two and the full, but I thought it just tasted so good that I ended up eating a lot for breakfast. <laughs> mm. So yeah, I go non fat. And how about the granola bar? It's Luna bar. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> so. You know, I was, I got this weird debate about with someone about whether Luna bars were made for women. <laughs> so I think they, they are, but 
I don't really know beyond like that being somewhere on the labeling why they're made for women. So yeah, well, well, they're delicious, and I'm a man, they're, and so they're definitely delicious. <laughs> yeah, is there a particular Luna Bar flavor that you're working with? It was the nuts over chocolate, and then Trader Joe's discontinued stocking that flavor. So since then, I've been doing the lemon. So we've also learned that Trader Joe's is is your go to shopping location or grocery spot. Yeah, it's it's there. It's convenient. They have samples. Uh-huh. I, I'm not being paid by Trader Joe's. <laughs> well, I know I love Trader Joe's, and I just wish they could deliver to us because <laughs> oh, we get yeah. most of them delivered. Yeah. And I guess we're too far away from yeah. the, the nearest Trader Joe's. But when we go, we end up stocking up, and it's usually in the frozen section, like there. Chicka tikka masala in their their china oh, masala so and oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah so easy absolutely <laughs> yeah okay well i asked the hard-hitting questions here on how to be awesome at your job so i'm glad we've got that settled now tell us you know you got a, a book no hard feelings coming out what's the story here the story is the book's central idea is just that emotions are inevitable so we should probably learn how to deal with them and it doesn't sound that revolutionary on the surface, but I think there is a long-standing tradition in the workplace, this idea that you should check your feelings at the door. And that is biologically impossible. We're emotional creatures, regardless of the circumstances. And so by suppressing our emotions, we actually miss out on what could be really useful signals. And so the idea between no hard feelings is that you so take for example envy which is one of my favorite examples of something that might be thought of as a hard feeling there's actually really useful information that's contained within that and so i think there is some stigma around if you're jealous of someone people might worry that that turns into bitterness and it often does but if you just let yourself sit with that you might realize that you're envious of a certain person because they have something that you really desire and then that can help you figure out like how to channel your energy and where you might want to go with your career. So we talked to Gretchen Rubin, who's lovely, and she wrote The Happiness Project and The Four Tendencies. And she said when she was a lawyer and kind of thinking about what she wanted her next career move to be, she was reading about alumni from her school. And when she read about someone who had an amazing law career, she found it interesting. But when she read about people who had amazing writing careers, she said she became like sick with envy. And that to her was this really clear signal that maybe she should try pursuing a career in writing. Oh, that's good. It's funny when you say envy, I think of it in like a sinful context. Like they don't deserve that. (laughs) Why, Why them? Yeah. And I think a lot of emotions have this stigma around them. And again, I'm not endorsing that if, you know, if you're envious, you should walk up to someone like, I'm envious of you. It's, it's more just, if you hold these emotions that we think of as bad and that should be always thrown in the trash, if you instead hold them up to the light and inspect them, you might find something really useful in there. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Well, so then this notion that we, we've all got emotions and, and they can't go away, even if it's quote unquote unprofessional or whatnot. What do we do with that? You know, in a, in yeah. a context or culture or environment where you're sort of not supposed to express that you're angry at your boss for, for doing something that inconvenienced you or, or made your life difficult, or you are sad that uh, this thing that you poured your, your heart and soul and, and so much time into is, is getting scrapped and going nowhere. What should we do? Yeah. So I think something that might be a relief to people who 
are uncomfortable expressing emotions or in offices where maybe it isn't as accepted to express emotions is that there's a lot you can do internally first. And I think the very first thing when you're experiencing a hard feeling is to try and understand the need driving that emotion. So last year I was managing a design project and I found myself a few days ahead of the deadline, just getting really irritated with everyone I was working with. And when I kind of went to my office and closed the door and sat by myself and thought about it, no one was doing anything that was super irritating. I really liked the people I was working with. And so I realized that I was just irritable because I was extremely anxious about meeting that deadline. And the need driving that anxiety was that I just wanted to make sure that we had the structures in place to meet the deadline. So we had a team meeting and kind of went over what the plan was over the next few days and ended up cutting a few things because we just wanted to make sure the core product was impeccable. And I felt so much better and suddenly I wasn't irritable anymore. So I think a lot of the work is just, what is the need driving this hard feeling? And then I'll say the second thing that's really useful is in some cases to flag hard feelings in a way where you're talking about your emotions without getting emotional about it. So there are days when you're going to have just a bad day and there maybe isn't anything you can do about the need driving it. Maybe you're just generally blue that day or it's a personal issue that you can't fix immediately. And so in that case, people are going to pick up on the fact that you're having a bad day, especially if you're a leader, like your emotions have an outsized impact on the people around you. And if you don't say anything, you're just going to cause all this unnecessary anxiety. So imagine like we work together, I walk into an office and I just seem like a little subdued. I'm not really responding that quickly or my responses are really short and curt. I think it's super likely that you imagine that I'm upset with you or that you've done something bad or even like worst case, you're going to get fired. But if I instead say to you, hey, you know, I'm having a bad day. It has nothing to do with you, but just want to let you know. If I seem a little off, it's fine. It's just, I have some stuff going on. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to detail, but like you now get it. And I think it also gives you the opportunity to like treat me with a little more empathy. And so we've really done a lot for our relationship without me breaking down, saying that much, oversharing. It's just that little flag that is so crucial. That's so helpful. And I remember once I was consulting and there was a partner and, and we were talking about I don't even know what, but he said something about his anxiety and that he gets it from his mother. And I thought, oh, you know, I was just so relieved. Just like, yeah. man, whenever I'm around you, I just feel like, you know, we're screwing something up. And it's yeah. like, no, you just tend to be anxious. And that's sort of been that way your whole life. And I could chill out a little bit. And it was like, oh, what a relief. Yeah. And you know, it it didn't require a crazy team building thing. It wasn't like a retreat. It was just one comment. And so I think putting structures into place when you're working with people where you maybe just go around at the beginning of a team project and everyone answers really quickly. What are some things you should know about me? What are some things that have come up in the past that people felt when I was on a team with them? What do people sometimes misunderstand about me? Just quickly answering those and having everyone do it, maybe half an hour can save so much grief and avoid so much strife. Mm-hmm. And I also want to dig into what you said, sort of about the, the spreading of emotions. We had a mm. previous guest, Michelle Geelan, in her book, Broadcasting Happiness, talked mm. about it's not so much the person who has the most intensely positive or most intensely negative emotions so much as the one who is most expressive in terms of, of what's showing up and, and that kind of 
spreads. So how should we think about our spreading of emotions and maybe defending ourselves from the spread of something we'd rather not catch? Yeah. So the spreading of emotions, psychologists call emotional contagion. And it happens when we're in person. If, you know, I think like you said, this person you worked with who was really anxious, I'm sure that you fed on that anxiety and like found yourself often becoming anxious around that person. It also happens over text messages. So if you've ever been in an argument with someone and they suddenly just start responding like, sure, period, K, period, you become stressed. So humans, we just pick up on these signals and start to mirror each other's emotions. So if someone is really stressed or anxious, or even if they are expressing that and they're coming to you and they're venting a lot, I mean, one of the easiest things to do, if you can, is just to keep physical distance. So MIT professor Thomas Allen found that people are four times more likely to communicate regularly with a coworker who sits six feet away, as opposed to one who sits 60 feet away. So if you're in an open office space or if you have some flexibility to move around and someone just seems to be in a really difficult position, it's okay to kind of separate yourself a little bit to preserve your emotional state. Another tip that we give in the book that I really like is if someone's consistently coming to you with the same problem, try and push them towards action. And so something you can say is like, well, what could you have done differently? Or what can we do to fix the situation? And so just one question kind of forces them to, one, it helps them because maybe they just have been so bogged down inventing that they're not thinking proactively anymore. And two, it really does a nice job of gently shutting down the negativity. So I think it's really about putting a stop on the negativity and then also forming a little bubble in whatever way you can. That's really cool. And I want to dig now a bit into, you mentioned different emotions can be providing us with sort of signal information. And I remember, boy, back in the day, I I read, it was a Tony Robbins book, Awaken the Giant Within. What a title. Mm. (laughs) And and, uh, he even had a whole chapter where it was like, this emotion can mean this, like guilt yeah. means you have violated one of your core values. It does like, in a way, it seemed kind of elementary, uh, but at the same time, when, when you're in the heat of your emotions, it can be nice to just like make it real simple. Okay, what can be going on here? So could you give us a little bit of the, if this, then that uh, recipe book in terms of how we, we might go about decoding the signal from different emotions? Yeah, so two that I really like. One is if, You think about, so let's say you're making a decision and not doing or choosing one option over the other fills you with regret. I think this is also not groundbreaking, but you should maybe think about why you feel so much regret or why you, it hurts so much to give up one option. And I say this because I think when it comes to decision-making, especially around work, there is again, this idea of like, I think people come down really strongly, either always listen to your gut or never listen to your gut. And there's some useful emotions and some emotions that aren't useful, but regret is usually very useful. So that's an important one to listen to. When I was thinking about taking a new job or staying at my existing job, when I thought about not taking the new job, I felt a lot of regret. And so I realized that I was excited at the challenge and I didn't want to give that up. The other thing I felt was fear. And so I think fear can often be a really important signal around Maybe you just really want this. I'm often the most fearful when I'm emailing someone uh, that I admire. So when we were writing the book, we interviewed a lot of people. And I found that writing emails to people whose books I love, like I would put Gretchen Rubin in this camp or Daniel Pink who wrote Drive and then just came out with a book when it was, I was so afraid of emailing them. 
And I realized that I shouldn't put off those emails because I was afraid. It was just like, I thought it would be so amazing if these people, if I could speak to them and learn more about them and kind of get to know them. And so the fear there was just a signal that this is like really important to me. And so instead of avoiding it, I should just put some more thought into how I went forward. So both the theory and regret are pointing to what's important to you. And on the regret side, you're sort of like imagining a scenario in which you have you know, chosen one thing or forsaken another and sort of observing the emotional response. Yeah, I think it can be incredibly illuminating into kind of how you how you're feeling because your your brain is doing all this calculation and then sometimes what it spits out is a feeling. Oh, certainly. And, and I think about that fear in terms of emailing folks who you know, have a, a real impact perhaps on your fate. And then there's fear and then that fear, sometimes the knee-jerk reaction is just to, oh, do something else. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of, of maybe asking a better question might be, what could I put in this email that would make it all the more compelling and, yeah. and, and engaging and, and answerable as opposed to what else am I going to do? Yes. So I've actually started using fear as a way to prioritize my to-do list in the mornings. So when I think about, I have, I have just a running list with everything I need to do. And in the past, I found that I kept falling into this trap of just going to the easiest stuff first. And sometimes that was organize my desk. <laughs> and, you know, organizing your desk is important, but it's not, it's not going to like move your career forward in a meaningful way, unless you're like a very, very disorganized person. And so what I would do is look at this list and then I would identify the three things that I was most afraid of doing or just had the most emotional resistance around. And it usually meant it was because they were hard or they were important. And those were the things that I would do first if it, if it did seem to bear out that like these are really important things to me. And then I would leave kind of the little stuff for later in the day when research shows that our productivity starts to wane, we're less able to focus. So really, again, I think it's just a great example of if you're afraid of sending that email maybe that's the thing that you should spend your morning focusing on doing. That's really good. Well, so since you have been there, done that many a time when it comes to, I'm afraid of this email, it's high stakes, <laughs> I want to send it out, I got to make sure it's right. What have you found to be some of the best practices, particularly in sending emails that you fear that get them responded to? I think one is just to, to write like a human being. Um, I think that especially earlier in my career, I definitely did this, but people often get into business mode, um, which is like to whom it may concern. I am deeply passionate about whatever. And that might be true, but just, I think having some personality show through makes it, it, it reads more naturally. It doesn't feel so much like a form letter or like someone's pitching you on something. So I'd say that's one of the most important things, which also ties into to a nice piece of advice that we have in the book, which is just always emotionally proofreading your emails. So trying to put yourself in the recipient's shoes and something that I have done before with really important emails is I think so often when we, we find a typo or we find something we could have fixed immediately after we hit send. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so a way to avoid that is to write an email and then send it to yourself. And that forces you to actually click on it and open it and read it. And I think that helps literally put yourself into the recipient's shoes and then it kind of comes, it becomes clear as you do that, okay, what could be better? Where could I put in a more specific example? What information is missing? Um, how, how am I coming across? I think really just having 
putting yourself in the recipient's shoes goes a long way. I think that's really cool. And, and I, I'm sort of imagining myself doing that and trying to get some even extra distance. Like I'll, I'll take a little walk and then return mm-hmm. to it. It's like, oh, what do you know? I've got an email from Pete. Well, let me take a look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I actually, so this, this idea of, of first sending it to myself came from Molly is my co-author. We wrote the book together and she, we, there are eight chapters and we split them up into four chapters each and each did an initial draft and then would swap the draft. And Molly called me after a while and she told me that my emails were making her feel really bad. Hmm. And I was surprised because I thought that I had been responding in a really fast, wet manner. I was giving her great tips on what we needed to change, what should be edited, what wasn't working. But then she said, why don't you just read one of the emails you've written to me and from my perspective? And so I did that. And basically what I was sending her were just long bullet point lists of all the things I thought needed to be better in the chapter. And nowhere in that email was like, thanks for taking a stab at this. Here's what I really liked. And so that emotional proofread, like all of that was in my head, but I had never put it in the email. And so Molly has no idea what's in my head. And so she was just getting these walls of like critical feedback. And I think that really helped me understand, oh, I need to take some of the stuff that's in my head and put it in the email because it is relevant. It is important. And she's not a mind reader. And I can't, I need to step away from only focusing on efficiency. Yeah, that's very well said. And I think sometimes it's impressive just how fast it came. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that's a quick thing you could say. It's like, wow, you know? That, yeah. Great job on a quick turnaround. You're yeah. really cranking through some words this morning. And, and then that makes you feel good. Like, well, yes, thank you. I was cranking on some words this morning. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, well, let's talk about the feedback point there. Feedback is, boy, emotionally rich, shall we say, in, in terms of both on the on the giving side and the receiving side. I, you know, if, if you talk to to managers behind closed doors, they'll they'll admit they're sometimes terrified, you know, to give feedback to you know, their direct reports. And, and certainly on the, on the receiving side, uh, feedback can, can make you defensive or angry. So how do you think about feedback and, and what are some of the best practices for giving and receiving it well? Yeah. So I'll start with giving feedback. And I think really the way to come at it is to consider how do I give feedback that doesn't pack a really painful punch? And so Great feedback allows the recipient to more quickly move past this inevitable defensive reaction and move on to determination and action. So to that end, we really encourage people to do three things. And the first is just focus on specific behavior. Um, When we give vague feedback, it's so easy for the recipient. First of all, they don't know what to do with it. And so it's much easier for them to ruminate on it and just think and think. And then it becomes this like big issue that more and more seems like an attack on their entire sense of self. So as an example, if I say to you, let's say you send me an email and I give you feedback. And the first is this email just could have been better. I think it missed the mark versus the second sentence in your email was a little repetitive. Um, I think it's unnecessary and you should delete it to be a little more succinct. It's so easy. You just delete the second sentence and go about your day. Whereas the first, when I say like, it just missed the mark, it wasn't good. It's much easier to go home and be like, oh my God, it wasn't good. What do I do? I don't know how to improve. So what else isn't good? So just, again, it's about reducing unnecessary anxiety. The second tip that I really love is present feedback in a way where it's about building the person up 
And a great way to communicate that is just to start with saying, I'm giving you these comments because I have very high expectations of you and I'm confident that you can reach them. And that immediately puts them on like, I'm here to help. This is advice. I'm not here to tear you down. I'm not here to make you feel bad. And then the last thing is just really try and understand. And I think this goes back to the earlier point about taking the time to figure out how do people like to work with each other and how do they like to receive feedback? So I, I love feedback. I love it in the moment. I just always want people to be telling me how I can improve. And Molly, for example, that makes her really uncomfortable. So she would always rather receive it over email and then have some time to think through it and also process her initial emotional reaction. So if I'm just spitting feedback at her, I'm going to make her feel bad because I'm operating around how I want to be treated as opposed to how Molly wants to be treated. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And I like that actionable piece. I think about reviews in particular, how sometimes it's just so so vague. Like, be more professional. And yeah. that's one thing I loved about consulting at Bain was that the reviews, well, boy, they were extensive, like five pages, single spaced, like every wow. three to six months. And so my, my be more professional would be like, uh, people sometimes use language such as cool beans or word in, <laughs> in, in front of the clients. And, and these word choices <laughs> don't, don't convey as much of a professional demeanor. It's like, fair enough. I can see where you're coming from there. And that's way more actionable. Don't say word or cool beans uh, to a client until you're really chummy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Then be more professional. Like, what, what does that even mean? Be more professional. Yeah. Yeah. So just thinking about what can you do to really help this person and be more professional is just not that helpful. And so then how about on the receiving side of things? Yeah. So we like to say that you need feedback to improve. If no one's ever criticizing you, if no one's telling you what you're doing wrong, you're never really going to set yourself up for success because everyone has areas that they could be improving on. And so you want to make it awesome for people to come to you with hard feedback. And I think the best way to do that is to be able to regulate and your, your initial defensive reaction. And so one thing is just keep reminding yourself that you need critical feedback to improve. Again, uh, from the other side, see it as this person trying to help you. So a friend is going to tell you that you have spinach in your teeth. A non-friend is not going to tell you because it's uncomfortable. Like it might hurt your feelings. There's going to be this awkward moment. So really try and see it as this person is here to help me. Another thing is to use the word what instead of any. So people I find often say like, do you have any feedback for me? Is there anything I could be doing differently? And it's really easy for people to respond to that with, no, I thought it was good. But if I instead say, what are two things I could have done better? It's really, it's hard to say eh, nothing. Um, and people usually can come up with one or two things. So, so phrasing the question can invite feedback in a different way. and then. My final, the final piece of advice I'll give here that I really love is keeping, we call it a smile file, but it's essentially a folder and that can be digital or physical where you just keep, or it can be a folder in your inbox where when you get positive feedback or someone thanks you for doing something or says something really nice about you, you save all of that to a folder. And then when you receive critical feedback, you can go back to that folder and remind yourself of all the things you do well. And then you're better able to see the criticism as one data point in the entire picture of who you are. And so it's like, I need to work on this, but it's not devastating because there's all these other things that I am doing well. Oh, yeah, I really like that. This, that reminds me of when I was in college and I, I was 
I was feeling a little shaken in my confidence because I think I was rejected from all these clubs I tried to get into as a freshman. It was like, what the heck? I was, I was Mr. High Achiever in high school. What's the deal here? And so I, I, I made a little notebook in terms of all the things that I, I've sort of achieved or, or sort of gotten great feedback on. And, and so sure enough, you make a, a big list of a hundred plus things. You're like, well, dang. You know, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I these are minor setbacks. I, I'm going to find my place real soon. Here, it's it's all good. Yeah, I think it's it's so nice to have that to go back to. And again, whatever works for you. I have an inbox, or I have a folder in my inbox where I'll just put a nice email in there. And then even when I'm even when I'm not receiving critical feedback, sometimes it's still nice to just go back and be like, oh, I did some cool things. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot, Liz. Can you share a favorite bit of feedback or accomplishment that consistently brings a smile to your face and and gets you in a good place? Yes. So the book is also illustrated, um, and I drew the illustrations. So they're they're really fun. Yeah. So so some of them kind of show the research or or, um, communicate an idea, and then some are just meant to be lighthearted and. It's not specific, but I think when people email me, I also have them on a website and on Instagram, and I'll get comments from time to time, especially around illustrations about anxiety and feeling stressed about work or feeling overwhelmed at times and normalizing that and saying, like, everybody feels like this. I've gotten comments from people saying, you know, I struggle with anxiety, especially in the workplace. And just knowing that you feel the same has made me feel so much better. And that is really meaningful to me. I think connecting with people on that level and realizing that, you know, like a little stick figure can have a profound impact on someone's mood is incredibly motivating and lovely to hear. Oh, that is very lovely. You're bringing back memories for me. I think maybe my favorite from a listener was every day an episode comes out, I make sure to wake up early so I can listen to it twice. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> I feel like I just got a warm glow from yeah, that. Yeah, thank Your you, hat. listener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, now we're, all, we're both smiling. That's good. Yeah. Well, speaking of smileys and emojis, how's that for a, a segue? Um, Beautiful. <laughs> when it comes to communicating digitally, you know, that's tricky because you, know, you don't have the facial expressions, the tone and all that. So if, if we're texting and emailing and, and slacking not skipping work, but using Slack as a communication channel, <laughs> yeah. then how do we communicate in these digital ways uh, with regard to uh, this emotional piece of things? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is when you're first getting to know someone, don't just rely on digital communication. If, you know, if I get a short email from my mom, whatever, we have a good relationship. We've known each other for 30 plus years it's fine. I'm not going to read into it. If I've, if I'm working with someone new, that's kind of all the information I'm going on. And so I'm going to read a lot more into that email. And that's generally bad because digital communication is lacking in so many nonverbal cues that are really important in communicating actually your meaning and your feelings. So I would just always advise, start with video calls, even just get on the phone if you can, so you can hear like tone of voice, cadence, um, how fast someone is speaking. These are all really important emotional signals. And then the second is, again, it just goes back to really trying to be as explicit as possible to avoid unnecessary anxiety. Let's say that I'm a manager and I email one of my reports because I'm in a rush. I just say, hey, got your email. Let's talk tomorrow. That's horrifying to receive. 
as a report. If my manager sent me that, I'd be really anxious. But I might have just meant like, hey, I thought this was really good. There's a few minor edits, but I can give them to you tomorrow. But that is such a different thing for the recipient. So really being explicit. And then the last thing I'll say is that just typos communicate a lot of emotion. We liken them to just emotional amplifiers. So let's say I send an email and I'm just like slightly upset about something, but it's filled with typos. And let's say I send this to Molly, my co-author. When she reads it, she's going to see the typos and she's going to imagine me like banging away at my keyboard in a blind rage and like not even caring about typos whatsoever. And so she's going to perceive it as like really angry when maybe I just meant it as, hey, here's the small thing that kind of upset me a little bit. Um, so just paying attention to these really small things that have big effects on how people perceive your email. Well, that's intriguing when you call it an emotional amplifier. I guess could it work in a positive way if you think something is excellent and you've got yeah. some typos like, wow, he's so overwhelmed with joy and enthusiasm for my work product that he is blurting it out all over the keyboard. Definitely. I think immediately comes to mind is text messages when you share really exciting information and you get back like an OMGQ exclamation point. You know, like the Q, it does convey you were just so excited to respond to me that you didn't care about the typo. Oh, that's good. Well, now I'm tempted to do it deliberately, but then I'm like, oh, is that inauthentic? <laughs> is that like <laughs> deceitful? <laughs> yeah, you have to use this information for good, not yeah. for evil. <laughs> Well, Liz, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I would, I would say one last thing is just, I really am a fan of the concept of selective vulnerability. So I think more and more people are asked to be authentic, to, to be vulnerable around each other. And it can be confusing to understand, like, what does that even mean? How vulnerable can I be if I am going through something and I'm really stressed about it? How much of that should I share? And so we encourage people share again, talk about your emotions without getting emotional. But then in a work context, it's still important, especially if you're a leader, to follow that up by painting the most realistic but optimistic picture of something. So again, let's say that there's a round of layoff. If you as a leader don't show any emotion, people are going to think you're a robot. Like Obviously, this is affecting you in some way, but you also don't want to be standing in front of your employees having a panic attack. So one thing you would do is just, I know this is a stressful time. I am feeling it as well, but we are making changes on our end to make sure that we're going to be in a good position and that we won't go through this again. We're also working with people who are laid off to do X, Y, Z, you know, just sharing information that provides some hope for people, but also not making them feel alone in their emotional state. Things are going to be hard at work. It's normal to be affected by them. I think if we don't acknowledge that, we risk, we, that we'd lose trust. There's no trust anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, well, now, could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yes. I really like, it's a small mindset shift, but it's anytime you find yourself saying, I have to do something, instead, try saying, I get to do something. So I am sometimes nervous about public speaking events or about just giving a presentation in front of people. And I will often the night before find myself just thinking like, why did I do this to myself? Um, I'm so scared. I have to do this presentation tomorrow. And taking a moment and just saying, I get to do this presentation. Like this is a cool opportunity for me. I get to share what I've been working on. Maybe someone will respond to it in a way that makes me feel good. 
maybe someone will be so interested in it that we have a fascinating conversation that deepens our bond also on a personal level. A lot of things that we're afraid of, again, are opportunities and we fear them because there's a big potential upside. So always reminding ourselves of that. And I think that I have to, switching to I get to, is a really simple way of doing that. Mm, Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? Yes. So my favorite study is out of Baylor University, and they found that emotions can go viral. So earlier I mentioned the concept of emotional contagion, where we catch each other's emotions. And so they found that emotions can spread from one office to another, and it works like this. So I come home from work, and I've had a really bad day because I've just been sitting next to someone who is incredibly stressed, and I have not successfully wrapped a little nice bubble around myself. And I come home and I'm really grumpy towards my partner and we get in a fight and then we go to bed angry and he wakes up the next morning and he's irritated and he goes into his office and now he spreads that among all his coworkers. And this happens. So I think that's just a fascinating look at how important it is to have some kind of emotional flak jacket and to learn the skills to protect yourself, but also to create a great environment for the people around you. And how about a favorite book? Ooh, I'm going to go with Work Rules by Laszlo Bach, who led HR at Google for 10 years. And I think their people analytics department is fascinating. They do a really interesting and, and fun job of quantifying a lot of things around emotions. So what makes a manager good? What makes a good team good? And putting you know numbers and real experiments behind that, I think, It's also useful for skeptics around emotion to say, no, here's quantitative data showing why it is important to make people feel safe throwing out ideas or taking risks. And how about a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job? Favorite tool. Is this an emotional tool or like an app tool? (laughs) Well, it could be. It could be either or both. I'm I'm intrigued. That should be just something that you use regularly? Yeah, I would say just flagging how I'm feeling. I know I mentioned this before, but it's just so useful. And also, I actually use this a lot in my personal life too. I think just any interpersonal thing, just flagging for someone. I'm a little grumpy. Um, I've, I've done a lot like, hey, traffic was really bad today. I need half an hour <laughs> to get over it. Or like, I haven't had coffee. I didn't sleep well. Feeling a little grumpy right now. Maybe let's talk in 20 minutes. I, it's so, so useful. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up twice in this interview. All right. And how about a favorite habit? Uh, besides breakfast, I think taking photographs of things. So I do a lot of design work. So taking photographs of things I find inspiring. And I will broaden that to say, if you just see someone setting an example or doing something really well, and you want to emulate it, writing it down in some kind of file or a journal that you can screenshot. Like if someone writes an email that makes you feel really good, or you think was really well done, screenshot it and save it somewhere. So just always being aware of the lessons that are out there and keeping them in a file so that you can refer back to them. Mm-hmm. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? Just that we all have feelings. I definitely experienced this. My parents are stoic, academic immigrants. And so I grew up in a pretty emotionally unexpressive household. And so just this concept around permission, like, you are going to have feelings. It's okay. It's not a weakness. It's not a flaw. I think that, which maybe is a little sad, but but I think it's really useful to hear that. And, and it can make people feel a lot less isolated wherever they are. 
And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I'm going to point them to our website, lizandmolly.com. And Molly is spelled M-O-L-L-I-E, not M-O-L-L-Y. And they can pre-order the book, No Hard Feelings, The Secret Power of Embracing Emotions at Work on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, at your local independent bookseller, wherever books are sold. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Acknowledge your emotions. Next time you feel strongly, sit down, maybe journal about it, and really think about why you might be feeling that way. All right. Well, Liz, thanks so much for for sharing the good word and and good luck with the book, No Hard Feelings, and, and all you're up to. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. I really dig what Liz has to say with regard to not suppressing or throwing away the emotions that may not be so pleasant, but to really take a moment to inspect them. Have a look. They can really point you to some interesting things and insights about yourself and offer some information that you might overlook if you're only operating from a logical Spock-like place strictly in your thinking brain as opposed to the, the feeling side of things. So pretty handy and wise. I encourage you to take a moment, do some processing. We heard that from Dr. Sean Jones as well, that the power associated with, with going there instead of constantly you know, shoving off to the side for later slash never. And you can learn some great things by doing just that. And you can also recap these great things you've learned by visiting awesomeatyourjob.com slash F396. We got the transcript, et cetera, from Liz. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest, who is someone I've been reading since I was in high school. So it was pretty fun to chat with him in real life. His name is John C. Maxwell. He's written a ton of books about leadership, and he's got a new one called Leadership, which is about the key shifts you make as you grow in your leadership journey and adventure. So hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.